Hey there, pending pals. We have a real awesome episode coming up for you, but I just wanted to jump out ahead here and give a quick uh, content warning. Uh, In this episode, there are descriptions of sexual assault and sexual harassment, as well as the trauma that is associated with those. Just wanted to uh, keep everyone aware of that. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. In this universe, we look at a lot of things like failure is not such a bad thing. If you're not failing, you maybe you're not trying hard enough. Welcome to Ending Pending. I'm your host, Andy. I'm delighted, and I'm Evan. I'm a wonderful <laughs> retrospective, and I'm Ronnie. Ending Pending is a podcast where we review television shows which have only lasted for a single season. We are currently covering Young Hercules, but we decided, fuck that. Yeah, we're not doing <laughs> we're not doing Young Hercules anymore. It's fuck so that long. show. There's so much Hercules. He's not even all that young. It's a real misnomer on all fronts. It's we just we just threw that into space. Instead, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk more about like what is going on with that a little bit later. Um, we we actually have some, no more. Yeah, we have some real announcements regarding Young Hercules. Um, but but let's not think about that now. Let's yeah. dwell on the good things. We invited some guests, and we're going to hang out with them instead of covering Young Hercules. Yes, uh, excellent guests. You know them from Cryptid Keeper, from Ahura Borealis. We have Addison Peacock and Alex Flanagan. Welcome to Ending Pending. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, hi. Thank you for having us. You actually also might know me from Ending Pending. I mean, just saying. (laughs) Yes, that's true. That is super fair. Um, Alex was jo- joined us during our uh, not Dresden Files during Constantine. We, yeah. The cryptids yeah. of Constantine, Constantine we went over. Yep. Yeah. It's a huge uh, And in fairness, if you're a Cryptid Keeper show listening to this episode of Ending Pending for Addison and myself, then you might know these folks from the Cryptid Keeper. Yeah, yeah we, we did that one time. We did that just recently. <laughs> and we, we talked found about it. Some, the Goatman. The Goatman. We talked about the Goatman, whom I am quite afraid of. Uh, yeah, my good, my good <laughs> no. friend and neighbor, the Goatman, who also loves the Maryland flag and Old Bay. Old Bay. I will for the rest. I will for the rest of my life remember the incredible like. And this was like four days before quarantine started, so it's very fresh in my mind. It's one of my most recent outdoor memories uh-huh. of being in a piercing studio with Andy when all of a sudden I am informed that crimes may have been committed in the name of our podcast. <laughs> we don't talk about that. We're, yeah, we're like hanging Wait. out. We're like hanging out, ready to get piercings together. And then Andy is like, so um, I learned about the wiretapping act today. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can talk about that here. We avoid talking about the illicit crimes that took place on the Cryptic Keeper, but I will yeah. give no incriminating details, but I will just say that that conversation was truly wild. It was an educational experience for me, hosting Cryptic Keeper. A lot. We say swears <laughs> and do hysterical. crimes on this podcast. Podcast. Yeah, I um, that's quite a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. So and- I feel pretty badass talking about information crimes in a piercing studio. <laughs> so I mean, that is a very cool place to talk about crime. It was pretty great. There were like a lot of nude portraits on the walls. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> true. I am yeah. not surprised. <laughs> um, not to brag, but when I got my tattoo, I was looking at a long Furby. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, my that's tattoo a flex. artist. 
who I'm actually super sad because she moved. Um, she is in uh, Yellowstone now. So when all this is over, I don't know where I'm going to get my next tattoo. But she has like a Furby collection in her studio. <laughs> Oh. Um, and she has a long Furby on like the top shelf that I was just basically for a long portion of when I was getting my tattoo, making just direct eye contact with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I understand not wanting to brag, but I, I you do understand that is a full brag. That is a. Total you want to know his brag. name? The long oh, Furby. Course. His name. His name is Look Away. (laughs) (laughs) Fitting, actually. So anyway, this is ending pending a show where we brag about how punk we are by talking about our piercings and tattoos and all the other dope shit we do on the daily. No piercings and no tattoos. I'm so I'm such a (laughs) I don't have any I don't have any piercings. I have no piercings. Come hang out. We'll get piercings together. I would love that. I would love that. I'm I'm getting a tattoo in about three weeks, assuming Is it your first one? It is my first one, yeah. Oh, I hope you have a great time. Um, it's not it, it doesn't hurt as bad as you think it will, but it's it's a very weird sensation that I don't know how to describe. Yeah, I'm getting it on my forearm, which is a, a pretty decent place to get it. Oh, yeah, it's that's not fine. like super, super bad. It will be three sessions long, though. So, oh, gosh, I got mine in an area that my tattoo artist. I got them the one on my inner arm and it's fine until you get close to the armpit, which my tattoo artist described as being a particularly spicy area oh, in terms spicy. of <laughs> pain because you have a lot of nerve endings there. But even then, it was totally fine. Um, weird, to, weird to design a body like that, huh? Why did why yeah, right? why are there so Very many nerve strange. endings in the armpits? Don't know. For tickling. <laughs> so <laughs> typically typically Andy has a bit. I do have a bit, but was this the bit? Do we want to skip Andy's bit? bit? I think I think uh we and our friends are excited to get into the subject matter of the episode. Yeah. All right. The one time I prepare a bit, we we throw oh, it out I'm with young sorry. Hercules. Did we, did no, we commandeer your, did we commandeer your chance to be funny? Oh no, no, I'm never <laughs> funny on ending pending. That's like the whole thing. Uh, accidentally funny and very unprepared. Is, Ronnie, uh, is good... Ronnie is the loved one. The Stop. amount of times people come up to me and go, "Oh, I hey Andy, I listen to your podcast, love it, it's so good." Ronnie's the best. I'm like, "Oh, thanks, oh, fuck stop. me." Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> They don't tell me. I wish they would tell me. <laughs> One time we got somebody who slid into our DMs to ask me if Addison was single. Oh, he was also like a forty-two-year-old man. Oh. It's not a good story. It's, I mean, it's not a good time, story. At the time, I was twenty-two. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. When people come up to me and say Ronnie's their favorite, I just agree with them because Ronnie is my favorite too. <laughs> oh, people do sometimes when they're new to the show mix up me and Alex and think that one of us is the other one. Like when people send you stuff about owls, Alex. Uh huh. Yep. And they're like, I know you I love owls, and then because like, you're a nice person, you <laughs> sure just go, you. yeah. Because you're a nice person, and they're being nice, you're just like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the 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 topic for today is we figured we'd uh, look back at Toucan Birdie. Yeah, because mm-hmm. ending mm-hmm. ending pending is a show where we like to like things in spite of all Ooh. evidence associated with <laughs> yes. me and my opinions on things. <laughs> we're not we're not a mean show. And for our no. hundredth hundredth episode, we figured we should do the thing that we do best, which is uh, you know, love thing. Oh my gosh, is this your hundredth episode? Oh. This isn't the hundredth episode. Oh, it's not? No. Oh, Wait, okay. No. Okay, never mind. I was like, I did not know this that. Is like was... oh, this, is 90, this is like 97. Oh, I'm sorry. This is 99. So I was you're so not so excited. Oh, I got Dang. 99 for your 99th episode. 
Which yeah. means we have, which means, uh, friends, we should have a business meeting uh, quickly yep. soon to see, figure out if what's going on next if week. If you've got podcast problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got 99 problems, but this show ain't one. Hey. I, I thought that this was the special different weird thing we were doing for our special different weird no, we're number. We're, we still have to figure that out. Uh-oh. We still have to figure that out. We don't know where we're Suggestion. Suggestion, and this is free. For your 100th episode, maybe considering a show that has gone on for way too many seasons. Oh, that was one of our Supernatural. Oh, Supernatural. No. I just want to hear you all Addison. talk about Supernatural. Addison, how are we yes. going to watch Supernatural between now and this time next week? That it's is quarantine. You'll figure it out. physically impossible. <laughs> I think I watched like the first six and a half seasons. I could maybe, There's, you know, catch up. I watched quick. until season five. There's definitely a highlight reel of Supernatural episodes somewhere out there that you can like just pick those. Anyway, we're not covering that show, so I'm After sorry. I've watched them fridge the first woman. It's just the same every time. They fridge. This is also the, true. The first episode, they fridge a woman and then they end the episode by fridging a woman. Yeah. They, they fridge book, women. Yeah, it's they what book they do. in the first episode. So it's just watch bad. that and then assume that nothing improves. Narrative you symmetry. Know, what that is mm-hmm. like george lucas would say it's poetry it rhymes they have yeah, some like okay. very fun um monsters on that show at some points but yeah like as a whole like collective thing not great mm. <laughs> i apologize we really did come here to talk about the empowered bird women yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry say, the, the show that would I... never fridge a woman is yeah. uh still gone birdie until I forgot how to count. Yeah. Tuka and Birdie and Birdie and Tuka and Tuka and Birdie. Birdie and Birdie and Tuka and Tuka and Birdie. Alex reached out to us and said, if, uh... Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. That was very good. Alex reached out to us and said, hey, we would love to talk about Tuka and Birdie. And I was like, that's great. We finished recording episodes about Tuka and Birdie two weeks ago, but we can totally go back to it at any point you ever want to be on our show. And Which makes me feel very cool and powerful so thank you no thank you so much you should that's very Um, nice so so we we did uh discuss uh, a bit of a of a you know a wrap-up for tuca and birdie but it it was just us and and we don't have as much context for this kind of thing and so so tell us about your like your background with this show it, it, it didn't come on that long ago so it's not like your childhood or anything but like <laughs> yeah no Tuka and Birdie is um first of all I think it's something really really special and I know that Addison has a lot of feelings about it too my obviously like relationship with womanhood is complicated um but I think that it, all the same it was a show that did something really remarkable which I have never actually seen any other show do and I'm not exaggerating when I say this which is that it captured sort of like the inherent absurdity and vulnerability and like weirdness of the experience of being a woman or being socialized as a woman or just like the experience of performative womanhood in a way that like was kind of vulgar and like scary and strange without being objectifying at all. Like Mm -hmm. it just sort of captured this inherent absurdity and surrealism in -hmm. a way that was so, so beautiful. Like I watched the first episode and I was like, that was freaking weird, but like I vibe with it. (laughs) And I am a lot of my background, educationally speaking, is in like 
um, theater history and art history in general. And I have a lot of really strong feelings about absurdist movements and absurdist theater and theater of cruelty and like stuff in that sort of genre. Um, it's very, very fascinating to me. And I, I've done a lot of studying on it. And it's so cool to see art sort of swinging back in that direction, but to see it done in this way that had such like a strong female centric perspective was so beautiful and so alarming and like really, really refreshing in a way that I totally was not expecting and not prepared for. And it ended way too soon. I agree. I If I'm grateful for anything about Tuca and Birdie's ending, it's that it ended itself on a note that didn't leave me feeling like my feet were dangling mm-hmm. in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they gave us a sure. soft place to land. But, um, no, I agree. And I think it's a show that knows exactly what it is, and it's just waiting for you to catch up. I think when you see, watch the opening credits and you see the bouncing titties on the buildings, you need to know what mm-hmm. you're in for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the titties on the buildings is actually extremely emblematic of the whole show. Oh, well, it is. But what's funny is, again, it's like it it is that and it's unashamed of what it is, but in a way that doesn't ever feel like that is being played for laughs in a vulgar way. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it's there not are jokes on it that are in on it yeah there are jokes that are very crude but they're not at the expense of women they're like jokes that are just framed from the perspective of like man being a woman is fucking weird right like just like that's kind of a beautiful thing existing is like gross and messy and strange and like how do i operate the world in this body (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. world in this body and all those things and i i love that it's also um I, I get very excited about the female gaze in, in media because I think it's something so absent a lot of the time. Um, and it's, it's so funny. It was one of I've watched so many things and like written a lot of things about like sexuality because I think it's interesting. And I think that specifically we don't have enough media on sexuality that isn't framed through mm-hmm. the cishet male lens. Um, and it was one of the most, I think the episode with the nests of Netherfield is one of the most like succinct <laughs> explorations of female desire I've ever seen. And that's a very weird thing to say about a silly bird show, but like um, it, it was such, you can, it was such a just such a um an effective exploration of like things that I don't know how to articulate. Like for example, my roommate and I watched the new Emma movie just the other day, and we were both like shrieking with like glee mm-hmm. at like how high all these moments of like these Regency era people not touching each other are. <laughs> and I, it reminded me of that episode of Tuca and Birdie where she's trying to explain why the nests of Netherfield is sexy, and like that's her porn. And uh, it, and, it, and it, tri- it set off that memory. And I was like, oh, my God, right. I've never seen someone articulate why. Like, people can make jokes about, like, women like, like, period pieces and, like, slow burn, things like that. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, this actually sits down and explains, like, the, like, kind of gives you a look at, like, what what is that? Like, why is that what we have, like, wanted to gravitate toward? Um, I also Speaking have, of, can we talk about Speckle? I was just about to say yes. Speckle is such Speckle's a wonderful model of non-toxic masculinity. He makes me so happy. Um, I, I am. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful to Tuka and Birdie for a lot of things. But one of them specifically is that and I hope this isn't weird to talk about publicly. I don't think that it is. It's like all very kind things. It's just it's you know, it's kind of vulnerable. But, um, you know, Andy and Evan, you both have met my fiance, Andrew and Addison. You have as well, obviously. Who? Um <laughs> my He's one of my best friends. He's one of my best friends. I don't mean it. He's one of my very whole entire fiance. He's one of my very best friends. I played a board yes, game with no. him this weekend for like seven hours. It was great. Yeah, right? We spent a lot of time together. Anyway, mm. he's deeply wonderful. But um, 
Andrew is in many ways like a speckle. He is, and I'm not bragging, although I kind of am, but that's a little um, bit of a brag. You should just, brag about him. Yeah. A yeah. Of a that's that's a, a little bit of a Furby level brag right there. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but um, I, I just, I'm very grateful to the show for handling with such like candor and care some of the very complicated feelings that result from being somebody who has such a complex relationship with vulnerability and trying to navigate finding yourself in a relationship with somebody who seems so much better than you have earned because that's a very complicated thing and the episode where um birdie and speckle are house shopping together literally i watched it from the couch of the first apartment that andrew and i had moved into together shortly before we started house shopping together and it was like (gasps) such a weird Mm. like messy moment for me and i just remember like sitting there on the couch like ready to cry because you know it's it's a big thing and it's it's hard because i think when you see so much like material that deals with um negative relationships and like the the specific kind of feminism of like realizing you don't need a man and like moving on with your life. And like, I totally 100% agree with that, but that makes it very difficult to explore what it's like to actually be in a good relationship because Mm -hmm. there's not a model for that. You know, you see a lot of really two dimensional models of like storybooky relationships that never examine the problems beneath Mm -hmm. the surface of them that are very problematic in a lot of ways. And you see a lot of media that sort of explores like really dark and, and difficult relationships and like how to handle that. But there's this whole other vein of storytelling, which I didn't realize I was missing so desperately, which is like, what do you do when a relationship is actually going really well and you don't think that you can handle that? <laughs> like, yeah, that's a hard thing to ask. And it's also like another trope that we see a lot on ending pending is like the like I'm in too boring of a relationship trope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which like mm-hmm. like we, we covered a show called Mixology where the entire mm-hmm. development of one character was. I'm in an awesome relationship where we do really fun, cool stuff all the time. It's just not like what society would deem like hot and sexy. And so I'm miserable. And it's like that that doesn't feel true to life. Like that doesn't feel like that would be that way where like I was waiting for that to be the Mm -hmm. crux of Tuca and Birdie. I was too. And I'm so glad that it wasn't. And that's a really good point is that it like (laughs) it would have been so easy for the moral of that story to be like, oh, but Birdie, you're such like a high powered, ambitious woman. Like, what are you doing with somebody who doesn't push you? And it's like, yeah, well, that's not always the story, you know? And that actually that 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 is like so I think the like the beauty of their relationship is so exemplified in the nests of Netherfield episode, I think, because <laughs> it's kind of starts with that sort of like I've fallen into a rut and I can't get out and I feel bored mm-hmm. and restless. But the the way out of that isn't to abandon the thing. It's to talk about it and to compromise. And then um that very cute, very sweet, like, then Speckle basically being like, I hear you and I'm going to extend you this thing that I realize that mm-hmm, you want and mm-hmm. we're going to work together to make each other happy and make sure we don't get complacent and we don't get bored. And to your yeah. point, Addison, like we're going to do when, a we're going to do a Downton Abbey role play. That sounds right. Yes, you, <laughs> that your posterior is magnificent and the whole yeah. kingdom shall <laughs> see it. And like to, to your point, Addison, like the entire time they're doing this and like, oh, this is my porn. It's like kind of like trying to 
almost be metaphorical, but at the same time, like it's very real. But mm-hmm. during that last scene, I was like, oh no, I get it. No, that mm-hmm. that, that, that that's real. Like, that that, that, that mm-hmm. works. Hey, Kyla. Yeah, Marty. What's your favorite scary movie? Well, that's an excellent question. You can find the answer to that if you listen to our podcast, Netflix and Kill. If you're a horror fan, you can hear us go through all the horror films on Netflix, good and bad. Find out which ones are worth watching. If you're a horror newcomer, don't be scared off. We go through the rubs and definitely make some jokes. So we hope you check us out. You can find our podcast at LunarLightStudio.com or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes out every other Tuesday. May your nightmares be plentiful. You know, especially as you learn more about the two protagonists sort of like through the eventual unspooling of their backstories, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I'm not going to say solidly like, oh, I'm a Tuka or oh, I'm a birdie. Like, I do see elements of myself in both of them. And I'm We're very, all very a little bit of both. We're all a little bit of both. Um, but just like the general experience of being somebody who has such complicated and difficult baggage wrapped up with like what they think they're allowed to want out of a relationship and then like trying to navigate what happens when, you know, you are somebody who knows how to be in bad relationships and you find yourself in one where everything is like fine, actually. (laughs) And it's like, what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. And then like, how do you grapple with realizing like you're introducing problems into a relationship because you just think that they need to be there and like trying to find an excuse to like hyper fixate on that you know what i mean Uh when like the reality is like no this is a good thing like things are going well yeah and trying to unpack like why it is that that freaks you out oh my god and that's the same episode as deli guy which is exploring as we're talking i'm realizing Mm -hmm. that that episode is exploring that feeling for the both of them um yeah exactly i i was very for the most part birdie's arc is the one that means that like Mm -hmm. is the most personal to me but tuka in that episode really hit me in a way that I was not prepared for. Um, I like, I'm going to get like really real on this episode. I hope that's okay. Like, I don't want to like make anyone uncomfortable, but, um, no, we're good. I've got some very personal connections. Uh, I went through a period of time in college where I responded to a trauma by like basically just getting extremely drunk and hooking up with a lot of strangers. um, it wasn't a healthy chapter of my life. Don't really particularly feel proud of it. But um, the whole like Tuka and the deli guy on the date thing and like the discomfort and the like, I don't know how to navigate this when I'm actually being just my actual self. Like, I don't know how to let myself mm-hmm. be seen by somebody um, like, oh, that 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 hit different, actually. Um, yeah. Like, I remember the first time uh, I like actually tried to like have a relationship with someone and after that period and how weird and uncomfortable and scary that felt and how deliberately I liked I would sabotage things like I distinctly remember this poor guy I'm not going to name him because that would be weird um or actually there was there was a girl I did this with too I had a really bad habit of like fall getting really invested in somebody emotionally from afar and then the second they started to return my feelings I would deliberately sabotage the relationship um (laughs) And uh, only uh, and only seek out people that would treat me poorly. Um, and that, yeah, that that episode really that really hit like it's it's really scary to get out of the woods, so to speak, and then realize that 
to find a person, you have to actually let them see you mm-hmm. when you're not ready. The other thing, the other thing I really, really appreciated about Tuca and Birdie as a show in terms of like, while we're talking about relationships is the relationship between Tuca and Birdie. Like, Oh God. Yes. I really, really loved that the two of them, like, I, I don't know. There was something just so like beautiful and different about their relationship, which is that the things that they did that were unfair to each other, like the show didn't gloss over that or give them a pass on that. Mm-hmm. And like there mm-hmm. were consequences to those things. But ultimately, like the resolution was not either of them ignoring those things. It was them like acknowledging that they knew those things about that person when they embarked on that friendship and that their friendship had like always been impacted by those things and that they were going to like work through them and run the course of that the best that they could. And Mm -hmm. that ultimately, you know, the things about their friendship that made it difficult were the same things that they really admired about each other in other ways. And I just thought that was like really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. We talked about a little bit of that uh, when we were covering like the end of those episodes where there is like real conflict it doesn't end with Mm -hmm. like anything fake it ends with like honest like real conflict resolution yeah Mm -hmm. which like saying that makes it seem like that is it's like boring or like long-winded but it's like you just realize that like oh i haven't seen this in media at all or maybe even in my own life like true genuine conflict resolution resolution between people who care about each other like And that's something that I thought was so, so beautiful about the entire show is like it was filled with moments like that, like you said, of getting to a moment and realizing like, holy shit, I've never seen this on a show before. Mm hmm. And then I (laughs) before I know I'm going to take it to like a heavy, heavy place in a little bit. So I want to be a little lighter for a second and say what Alex was talking about, the absurdism of the show and. I really wasn't sure if I liked the show in the first episode for the first like mm-hmm. little chunk. I was like, I don't know what to make of this. And I'm going to admit that the moment I knew I was going to love this show was the cake sequence at the end of the pilot. Oh, oh my gosh. I very rarely laugh out loud. Yes, I very rarely laugh out loud at TV when I'm watching it alone. I'll like snort through my nose a little bit. I'll do a polite like, <laughs> but like that sequence. Breathe um, slightly when more she heavily was, like, than usual. <laughs> When she was like, yeah. when she, the grandma, when the grandma cake is like, uh, you have to eat, be a sweet child. And then he's eating and she's like, what's it like being an architect, baby boy? I was, I was, I was like, sure that's Nicole Byer. Did it you is know Nicole that? Byer. Yeah. She plays God, like, I love her. Nicole Byer plays about a million different voices on I Duke know, and she does everything. She's also the file cabinet. She's also the woman in the bathroom stall who says one of my other yeah. laugh out loud lines of the series, which is some women are body positive, but not me. Um, something that i think it's really important to touch on which we've sort of alluded to a couple times and i just want to like directly hit the nail on the head is that um the the metaphor and the text like in tuca and birdie works so well and i've gotten on this soapbox about other stories before but i really like think tuca and birdie is a perfect example of it is that it works so well because it explores these things on like sort of an absurd metaphorical level. But those things are also make made clear to actually be happening in the show. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. something that took some time to get used to is like you see something happen and you're like, oh, this is kind of like a weird fever yes. dream, like representation of what's happening. But like characters in the show continue to acknowledge that as if it's actually right. a no, real no, no. Thing the cake was his grandma and he ate it. Right. And he ate yeah. it. Like the episode for me that um and it, it was even talking about it is like so weird. This is not a thing I would normally like in a show, but the episode where Birdie um, basically like 
is experiencing sexual harassment at her workplace and depersonalizes from her body to the extent that like her boob literally runs away. Like that's a wild thing. And watching that, I was like, okay, weird. But at the same time, like it really sat with me and stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And that is probably one of the episodes I felt like the most seen by and the most like deeply connected to, um, which is like, I feel so weird even talking about that with other people because it's just like, you you try to relay the plot of that episode and it's like, <laughs> that sounds like a Buck Wild show that I want nothing to do with. Yeah, her like, boob just decides about... to leave. And also, and it's, not, drunk, right? it's not figurative. Her boob literally sits on like, the sofa. Like, it literally happens. And then delivers, yeah, no, exactly. delivers exposition that is important to another character later in the While story. Yeah. And that's the thing, but like, it really actually happens. But at the same time, like... Something about the just complete over the topness of that is the only way you can really approach like the the level of dissonance that it feels to go through that experience, like to be at a place where you are trying so hard just to accomplish like one specific thing and people just like can only look at this other aspect of you that you just don't want to be seen so badly that like you just can't even conceive of your body as being the way that other people are looking at it. And you just like wish that that part of you would just not exist for other people's consumption. And like, that is such a fascinating, like I I would give anything to be a fly on the wall where that script was written. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't something that I've talked about on any podcast. I don't think, Uh, but like my relationship with gender is kind of complicated and Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. not exactly like the, the average or normal uh, connection to it. And um, I was presenting femme and the first time I got catcalled was like that mm-hmm. for me. And on the one hand, it was like weirdly validating because like, right, oh, right. this like person like sees me as a, a woman, which is how I'm presenting right now, which is rad. But then on the other hand, it was like, oh my God, this is absolutely terrifying. And is this what like my girlfriends deal with Mm-hmm. all the time because mm-hmm. like i can go home and i can take this makeup off and i can take my yeah. chest out and i can like be a lumberjack and i'm fine mm-hmm. and this won't ever happen again but like to not be able to turn that off and to not be able to take those attributes off yeah. that the, these randos mm-hmm. are commenting on and making me feel unsafe over like that was totally eye-opening to me and I think I that was, moment in yeah. Tegan Birdie like really highlighted it where she's just like, nope, this is gone now and it's not a thing mm-hmm. anymore. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was 11 the first time I got publicly catcalled. I was probably around the same age. Jesus. Mm. So I was yeah. actually having a conversation earlier today about this. So it's 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 funny that it sh- should come up. But um, I lived the first 24 years of my life, like socially perceived as female. Mm-hmm. We're just unloading all the gender yeah, shit on any just ending like, tonight. <laughs> we're just getting too real here. Um, oh, and this episode's the fur being real. <laughs> <laughs> long fur, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, long fur being real. Um, oh, no. But there, someone, the context this came up in was uh, like, Someone from Japan was asking, like, oh, I heard that it's unsafe for women to walk around at night in America. And, like, a bunch of dudes responded to her, like, well, it's unsafe for anyone. Like, I mean, you just can't walk around. Like, it's not, like, this is, you know, Mm -hmm. like, totally dismissing, like, the gender issue. 
And I, like, made up... I don't normally, like, talk about being trans publicly. I'm just not comfortable addressing it all mm-hmm. the time. But sure. I, I commented on that post, and I was like, I just want to put this out there for any men reading this, that I have personally experienced both sides of this coin. And the period in my life when suddenly men were not, like, giving me sidelong looks and trying to follow me places and saying Mm. things to me, like, the freedom that I, within a few months, just immediately began to experience was unreal. Like, yeah. Certainly there are situations when, like, men might feel unsafe in, like, certain circumstances. And, like, that has happened, but it's it's like night and day. It's totally, it's it's not something that you can, like, understand as a cis man. Because you've, you literally cannot understand what women, the fear that women are living in every day. And how that's intrinsically tied to being a woman. So, like... Yeah, I literally took my <laughs> boobs off forever. <laughs> yeah, Birdie deciding not to wear the romper out even though she loves it and it makes her feel cute because she's thinking about the fact that men will say something mm-hmm. to her and she knows it's coming. I've done that. I've made decisions about what I wore out to places based on what I thought like uh, might bring me unwanted attention even though I knew it wouldn't be my fault. You still know yeah. that there are people who are going to see that and be like, that's an invitation. Well, and that's a frustrating thing, too, is like, you know, dealing with people who will be like, well, don't like don't let it bother you what other people think. And it's like, OK, well, you say I that. can know <laughs> that it's not my fault. I can know that like what other people think doesn't affect me. But when what other people think is that they have the right to commit acts of violence against me, then like, yeah, that is my business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should be concerned about that. Exactly. Yeah, I love the a, episode. It is a very Sorry. reasonable fear to have of. If I wear mm-hmm. this, I might get harassed and like on the wrong night, that harassment can just become so much worse. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. that's a, that's a real fucking thing. And it sucks. I am. Um, I got so much catharsis in like the fun, the fun kind of catharsis. The show also brought me like the less fun kind of catharsis, which was also good. But in the fun kind of catharsis in the that that episode with the romper when Birdie goes to like the, the like women's meeting. Um, or like mm-hmm. the, yeah, the, like, um, the meeting and, and everyone's like practicing like retorts. Um, yeah. And, uh, like as like funny and like, obviously like heightened as that sequence is when she like gives that little speech and she's like talking about like how it makes you feel like you're like on, like how makes it feel like people feel like they can, they're, they're entitled to consume you and things like that. And then get out of my space or I'll break your face. <laughs> makes me just feel, I get hyped. <laughs> I felt good. I felt so good watching. That. I was like, yeah. Um, even though I would never feel comfortable, actually I've yelled that at a cat back at a cat caller once in my life. Um, and that was because I could tell, like it was because I had the mm-hmm. upper hand power wise. It was this very weird moment where I got yelled at out of a car window while I was walking by this dude. And then they immediately hit a red light. So I caught up to their car walking as they were stopped. And I just mm-hmm. kind of looked over at them as I was walking. And one of the guys got so uncomfortable. He was like, I, I, I was sorry. He's an idiot. And I was like, yeah, tell your friend. He's a fucking idiot. Um, Hell yeah. Powerful. Um, and because they were like already feeling like afraid of me. It's the only time I've ever been able to yell back at a cat caller. Um, normally that's not something you can do without being like, what yeah. if he murders me? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Side note. I also like 
I'm trying not to use the word idiot anymore. I'm just wanted to use the quote of what the thing that I actually said at the time uh, and an impulse, but like I'm trying to move away from that kind of language. Um, just wanted to call myself out there, but anyway. I like the turtles. <laughs> oh, I love the turtles. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Let's not lose sight amidst all this like heavy stuff that this show is like also really funny. It's just oh really God, genuine. So funny. That's what makes this show so tough to cover is that like watching it, you go from busting a gut to like being really introspective and mm-hmm. like, like, well, and I think that's really then, the only reason that it's watchable is like the, yes. I'm so tired of shows that just like repackage, you know, the implicit horror of being alive and female through as many like traumatic lenses as they can. Like, because there's a lot of them. Mm hmm. And that's not enjoyable to watch, but something about like the joyfulness and just like the gleeful unhinging oh, it's so- of like every <laughs> single moment of Tuca and Birdie makes it like so much more consumable because like I watch Tuca and Birdie and I feel like I'm dissociating and I'm like, yes, this is how it feels. Like, this is how it feels. This is how crazy I feel every time this happens. Oh, oh my God. The I'm losing my shit song in the grocery store. I was cackling, yeah. but I was also like, yes, correct. <laughs> the, I'm losing my shit. <laughs> the mall is literally the funniest thing I've ever seen. The mall. The mall kiosks. <laughs> Yes. Oh, so good. fuck off, mom. It's girl thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God. I love that. Um, and I want us to live in this joy- joyful space before I take us to a heavy space again. So, yes, please. I also laughed <laughs> extremely hard at, again, the, the episode with the porn um, at Speckles Pornography. <laughs> Oh my god. Hello, Hello it's speckle. me, your boyfriend. I'm moving in. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like having sex and she's like or it's like um they're like talking about emotional intimacy while they're having sex. And he's like, I'm sorry, she's blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it made me laugh so hard. It's me, your boyfriend. I'm so glad to be moving in together. <laughs> it's those kind bouncing. Of, it's those kind of things that just like the, the the committal to the bit when it is a bit mm-hmm. and the committal to the bit when it is like an actual poignant moment of the show. Like mm-hmm. right. you, you don't know when one is going to turn into the other. Like like the the mm-hmm. the mall kiosk mm-hmm. thing that Annie was talking about of like the, an a, uh, older woman falls and they keep walking and say, nope, she belongs to the mall now, and then transforms into a mall kiosk. It's just like, <laughs> at what point are you going to cut away? Like, when is the joke done? And and is this mall kiosk woman going to come back later in a no, really, like, never emotional cut away. moment? Like, it, it She's just, gone. Like, she belongs to the mall now. <laughs> right. It's like, It doesn't allow you to, like, have any throwaway because you get mm-hmm. in, so invested in every moment because you're like, is this going to be the thing that we come back to? And, like, is the, like, really emotional mm-hmm. thing. Uh-huh. Um, I love it. It's so good. I, uh, I love, I love Speckle. Just like want to give another mm-hmm. little highlight. Husband material. That boy, that man, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. man, the myth, the legend. That, uh, um, that legend, legendary architects. I 
love when they show him at his job and he just like <laughs> is drawing like a child's drawing of a house. Uh-huh. I commented, I I commented on that bit when we were covering it where they're like, hmm, I don't know, is is the structure here stable? And then he draws a little like, like, uh, like cross shape in the window, like window pane. Yes! And they're like, perfect, you've done it again. Yeah, bad yeah. boy of architecture. Yes. And he comes Brilliant. home that night and he goes, I'm the new bad boy of architecture, which means I'm actually a very good boy. Speckle's <laughs> so a good boy. Fantastic. Um, and it was nice to see, like, this is again, I'm not kidding when I say like, and I, I, I throw around the term female gaze. And what I mean mainly is like the alternative to the cishet male gaze that is so prominent in much of media. Um, but like, it's nice to see such a such a solid encapsulation of like a fantasy that like i believe that women wrote i'm like yes speckle is a fantasy man that like a bunch of smart women wrote and created because that is like the kind of that is that's husband material they were like who's husband material this cute architect who like sometimes he has like he's a fully fledged person and he has emotional needs but he's like silly but he's also sexy and he's also very smart and he's also willing to like let you be your own person and is excited to see you succeed and I'm like, damn. But I also like that their relationship is not without its oh, difficulties. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And then, like, sometimes those difficulties are brought on by Birdie, like, being unable to confront the things that she has buried very deeply about herself. Mm-hmm. But other times it is, like, a fault of speckles in that, like, not that he's a bad person, but that, like, we were talking about earlier, like, specifically, Ivan had mentioned, it's just, like, the cis male experience cannot account for the things yeah. that Tuka and Birdie go through. Yes, exactly. And like, I think that it's so smart for the show to represent that through a character that like is so universally adored because sometimes that's how it is. You know, it's like, I love you to death, but you just, don't, you just get don't get it. Yes. And you can't get it. And that's not your fault. But God, it's infuriating. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. And, and and I think it's interesting. Um you have some very interesting and varied explorations of masculinity um, with Speckle in, like, one corner and Pastry Pete in the other. Ugh, yeah. Mm, God. Fuck Pastry Pete! Yeah. Yeah. Those first couple episodes, I was like, I like Pastry Pete because I like penguins, and he's a penguin. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) That's how they get you. That's how they trick you. We had uh, a guest on, and she was like, "Uh, you might not think that about face repeat later. You might not want to say that too and loud. I was just like, yeah. oh no. And then he was the worst and I hate him. Honestly, yeah, she called it. She was the right. Pastry, the pastry Pete storyline is amazing and, and amazingly handled. I don't think anything in the show guts me as much as that moment of like the accusation to Birdie of like, you knew, why didn't you say anything? Oh like my God. that wrecks me. Mm-hmm. That was one of those episodes that pivoted really hard from, like, pretty funny to, like, really devastating. And honestly, that, I mean, that whole episode was such a roller coaster of, like, first sort of confronting and unpacking the myth of, like, that inherent, you know, internalized misogyny competition of, like, hating a girl just because she has some of the same interests as you Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden becoming this thing of, like, no, all women are not inherently enemies, but, like, when we're up against the same things that's how we prevent from help. Like that's how we're prevented from helping each other. Mm -hmm. And I also think I've never seen 
it was extremely nuanced and I was so happy to finally see that just I was so happy to see this when it all played out. There's this very like there's this like <laughs> I don't have another way to put it. There's this like incel narrative that's like, oh, if a hot guy sexually harassed you, you wouldn't call it sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And there's that and and you watch Birdie navigate that weirdness where it's like she knows a boundary's being crossed, but she's very sexually attracted to pastry Pete. So at first she's just kind of like this is kind of great. But then as that progresses, it like the wrongness settles on her. And that's well, and also that feeling then where you're dealing with like, I am simultaneously feeling very violated by this and also like kind of flattered by it. But then I feel guilty for feeling that way. Yes. And like that makes it so much harder to unpack everything else that's happening there. Exactly. Because like, and it's something I appreciated about the show is just because there was an attraction there, it didn't make his behavior less wrong. Yeah. And I don't think that's a nuance that gets injected into that conversation very often. Normally, it's like a pretty cut and dry, like the predator's like a creepy guy that nobody likes and like, Mm -hmm. not like a charming, attractive person that like, there was even like a reciprocated interest there at some point. Yeah. Like, just because an interest has been reciprocated doesn't mean that that boundary being crossed isn't wrong. And doesn't mean that that pattern of behavior isn't an indicator that they're, that this person is bad news. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, like, this is, like, no details. But, like, when I was a lot younger, I, not, like, to, uh, uh, as, uh, like, an extreme, extreme extent, but I definitely, I, I, when I was a lot younger, I had a crush on an older guy who was, like, an adult, and I was, like, underage, um, who definitely like in retrospect took advantage of that and at the time I just kind of I had the birdie experience of being very like flattered by it and like whatever and I and I finally revisited it in therapy and like recently I was talking with a person who also knew this guy at the time and she mentioned that he had been creepy to her and then it sort of reframed the entire experience in my head as like being like both night like just because you felt an attraction to this person doesn't mean they didn't take advantage of you doesn't mean that they weren't a predator um mm-hmm. anyway one of the um there's an experience that i had uh a few months ago which i have to be very scant on details just because of the nature of the situation um but the part of it that's relevant is not the man who was involved it was just a conversation that i had in the car on a trip we were taking together where just like um she sort of started just spilling to me about some experiences she'd had with another person that we both knew and um, just the like negative things that had happened. And I just remember like I almost started crying because that person had like literally days before we had this conversation um, had like just out of character started like conversing with me it like in a way that had not happened before yet at any point in our relationship. And just like something about that specific experience of like the solidarity of sitting in a car with somebody while they like just confess to you all this stuff that they have been dealing with and like totally burdened by and being in this position of like, Oh my God, that's horrible. And also feeling this sense of relief at like, Oh my God, that could have been me. And like this conversation is why it wasn't. Like, that's a lot, but I've never seen that addressed in any way, except like in this, like, this is the first story I've ever seen that came even close to acknowledging, like, 
that specific kind of relationship that exists between two people who both have like a potential shared i guess like threat mm-hmm. that's not the right word but you know what i mean no i get what like, you mean it's such an interesting and odd dynamic and it's so so fascinating to have a story that explores that angle of it at all from any direction because so much of what that kind of power dynamic relies on is the fact that people won't talk about it yeah and like that's kind of built into it and so like when you have stories that address that like that's unbelievable to have this moment where the realization was not like you know um you should be like feeling jealous now because there's another person that this guy has moved on to or et cetera, et cetera, or even like just solely you should be relieved because it's not your problem anymore. But Mm -hmm. to examine this like much more complicated moment of this is a pattern. And on some level you always knew it was going to be a pattern Mm -hmm. and the other people who exist in that pattern are not just statistics. Yeah. I can't believe this is on a show where a man eats a cake filled with his grandma's ghost. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I have on multiple occasions gotten really frustrated with television shows specifically portraying like sexual predators because they are always so mustache twirlingly evil. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in a way that, you know, anyone who's experienced uh, any kind of a nuanced smart predator like nose is completely unrealistic like we're mm-hmm. what's that show with the superheroes the, the the edgy one you know the like oh the boys the boys. yes the boys there's a in like the first or second episode there's a I bit, hate that show yeah <laughs> yeah we we watched quite a bit of it and we had very mixed feelings about it i like carl urban so i was like I think Let's carl see where urban's this goes. great <laughs> um but yeah it was overall not it's in the first I, the thing you're thinking of is in the first episode yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, a situation where, like, a character was like pressuring a female character for sexual favors, and I, like, in the moment as we were watching the show, I was like, "This is so like, this is so absurdly mustache twirlingly evil." Like, no mm-hmm. predator behaves that way, no matter how confident they are, because that's exactly how they get caught. And that's yeah, like you know everyone like everyone who wants to uh, like take advantage of people is smarter than that. And that's Mm -hmm. why like it's problematic to portray predators this way, because this really contributes to this concept that a lot of people have that like, Oh, well, if he was bad, I would have noticed, you know, like, cause he would be mustache twirling evil. Yeah. I think it's also worth examining that, you know, while the problem is absolutely, yes, the fault does lie at the feet of people who are abusers or who are manipulators or who take advantage of that. Like we have to confront the fact that what is much more responsible is a culture and like a perspective that enables those people to believe that what they're doing is not explicitly evil. Mm -hmm. Right. So like to only present people like that predators as being, you know, like snidely whiplash levels of cartoonishly (laughs) terrible. Yeah. Um, it really detracts from the fact that a lot of those people feel so entitled to what they're trying to get that they don't see themselves as schemers. They just see themselves as people who are reaching for something that should be within their grasp. Yeah. It also creates the perception that, um, like 
these the predators are like the other like it can't be the guy down the street or it can't be your right, cousin exactly. or whatever because yeah. these people are separate from regular decent people and in reality right, they very exactly. much are not yeah definitely another thing i don't like ever talk about is um because this is the episode where we just talk about things where we never We're all talk just about spilling our guts here <laughs> anyway let's i'm not it's, even drunk um, i i've been sexually assaulted twice uh i don't talk about it because it doesn't uh fit the kind of standard narrative that's out there and i don't want to mm-hmm. ever take away from voices who are more uh at risk than my own um and also the first time i came out uh i was immediately asked like who touched you uh as if that yeah. was the reason why i'm queer is so i like I, I don't like to talk about it for a lot of reasons but uh yeah it's a messy thing the the one time I was at a party with all of my friends, like literally every single one of my friends was at this party and they all heard me tell this person no multiple times. And then they saw me drink more and drink more. And this person like hand me more drinks and hand me more drinks until that no became a yes. And Mm -hmm. they let me go to a room with her and I don't blame my friends. Like it's not my friend's fault, but like, that's just, like how manipulative predators are and they're subtle and people don't notice. And that's why you need to listen to people when they speak up about it and say like, no, that wasn't okay. And it's not for you to second guess them. Uh, you, you should believe them uh, because predators are subtle and they're sneaky and they can manipulate a situation and they can attack someone in a room full of people and get away with it. Yeah. Anyway, now that we're all sad. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not your fault. It's not going to get better because I'm positive Addison wants to talk about Jelly Lakes. Jelly Lakes is a very whole, good episode. Yeah, we should, we should like talk about the the last like three episodes here. Like we talked about the, the new bird in Dakota and how, how well that was put together. And, and like that ends with a just with Tuca, who is in a fight with Birdie, just picking her up on the side of the road and silently just driving, um, mm-hmm. which 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 brings to to mind a little bit what you were talking about, Alex, with with your with your friend. And, and like th- that is something that, you know. Yeah, it, it, that that is very impactful and it goes right into into Jelly Lakes, which is, you know the the episode it is the the season i feel like yeah it's really sort of the thesis statement mm-hmm. of everything that tuka and birdie is in a really beautiful way and it's one of those amazing moments of writing where if you watched all of tuka and birdie up to and not including jelly lakes um you would have a really good impression of the show and it would be a story where all the elements of it made sense but once you watch jelly lakes and you go back like every single thing the characters do and say takes on like a completely different level and like layer of significance Mm -hmm. in a way that is just unbelievably brilliant like it's one of those episodes that once you before you watch it 
you think you understand what everything in the show sort of means. And then like once you go back after having seen all of that, like you see it in a completely different way and you wonder how you could have ever thought that any of it meant anything else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's just it's it's brilliantly composed and so well done as far as animation goes. We see it earlier Mm -hmm. with with the Aunt Tallulah episode with Tuca where. Oh, my God. The 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 trauma that is expressed in this episode is not just flashbacks in the same animation style it's Mm -hmm. using all these very different very unique animation styles to tell these really just heart-wrenching stories and it it wouldn't have i i I don't know it 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 told it all in a very different way that mixed media is like one of the really really brilliant and beautiful things about tuca and birdie and one of the things that makes the storytelling and the surrealism of it work so well that moment you're referring to where tuca literally unspools is just mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen um that is probably like my favorite moment of the series yeah. as a whole and jelly lakes is incredible obviously and it's it's really amazing for me that moment with tuca is much more like deeply personally affecting than Birdie's journey in Jelly Lakes, but they're both incredible moments. And I'm so glad that both the protagonists sort of got of the got those um instances there. But yeah, Jelly Lakes is just incredible. It's an incredible moment of storytelling. And it's an incredible moment where like the problem is not magically solved right. by the nature of these two just being friends. Like that doesn't fix it. And in fact the reveal of everything that Birdie has sort of been burying really sheds a lot of light on like how a lot of the problems that are inherent to their friendship could not ever really truly be addressed without this thing being addressed, Mm -hmm. which is just like amazing. But I I love so much that the victory in Jelly Lakes doesn't come from anybody solving Birdie's problem for her. It comes from her having a chance to revisit something with the knowledge and the understanding that she has the support of people around her that she mm-hmm. needs, which is something that I think she hasn't really been certain of before that moment. The support of a large cast of women who, you know, mm-hmm. strong women who just happen yeah. to be able to rally around her at that point. No one helps her swim. No one like picks her up and puts her on the boat. Like they just right. follow behind her and support her while she does mm-hmm. all of the, the work herself. And I think that was really important how they animated that and showed that. I um, I know I've been talking. I like. I feel like I've been like monologuing a lot, but um, I've actually tweeted at Lisa Hanawalt about this. Jelly Lakes is my favorite episode of animated television. Uh, very closely, uh, very closely related to um Ruthie from BoJack Horseman, but Jelly Lakes yeah. is my favorite. Um, I uh, I'm a crier at like everything. Like if you know me, you know that I cry at. Stuff. Yeah, test. Yeah, it's what I do. Um, I very rarely there are very specific, there's a very specific kind of moment that I have when watching certain things though. That's like um what I call like a surprise cry, where like I'm fine and I'm like maybe a little watery, and then I'm like watching the thing and I'm a little watery, and then something happens, and then it just like without even being prepared, just like it just kind of bursts out of you, and it like it's 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 my favorite in a both good and bad way thing because it's the kind of catharsis you don't get that often. Um. I, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this without crying, but I really want to. I'm and I'm going to monologue, and I'm not sorry because literally the second you said you were going to have a song to talk about Tuca and Birdie, I knew I'd finally get a chance to talk about Jelly Lakes. Um, ooh, uh, it's not in a bad way. This is like good. I really I've been wanting to talk about this for a really long time. Um, 
it's it's an episode of television that means a lot to me. I've watched it probably five times and I've cried just as hard every single time I've watched it. Uh, um, basically, uh, my early on in college, like my freshman year of college, I uh, I was sexually assaulted. And when it was done or like when I was recovering from it and like sorting through all the stuff, I stopped being able to do a lot of things that used to make me very happy. And most notably, that was uh, stuff related to music and related to singing. And um, it took me to a kind of rough place where I couldn't explore that stuff anymore. Uh, and so Jelly Lakes, having like very specifically a story around a passion that feels like ruined by something bad that happened and um taking it back by doing it again for the first time was i i am um, i've never been so moved by an episode of tv uh i'm gonna breathe and talk like a person um <laughs> i am um, i was like that that touched me on a level that I can't fully articulate the idea of going on this by your journey by yourself, taking back this thing and proving to yourself and to everyone that it doesn't belong to the person who took it from you. It belongs to you. And <laughs> like you said, having no one had no one there to be able to actually, no one can do it for you. No one can do it for you. You have to do it yourself. But having the people in the boat behind her cheering her on, um, it was really special and specifically the moment that got me, uh, the moment that, uh, one of my, I think my favorite visual, uh, piece of storytelling is her falling down below the surface of the water and mm-hmm. finding herself <laughs> and, um, that little moment where it doesn't go right to like the embrace. They have that little, like that playful back and forth where like she does a flip and then she does a flip. And it's like the second that it's like not just about proving something anymore. It's like uh, it's it's taking the joy back. Yeah. And it's like this whole thing could it like the metaphor is very obvious in terms of like, you know, mm-hmm. going on a journey and reclaiming something. And it's easy for that to feel like a very sort of forceful and dramatic thing. But I think you're so right. That moment of just like quiet playfulness <laughs> where it's like that's not for anybody else, mm-hmm. you know, because there are there are observers, there are witnesses to like the big dramatic action of making it. Mm-hmm. But that moment there is not for an audience. Mm-hmm. It's like just for her. And that's so important. And it's at the lowest point. It's at the point where you don't think that you're going to make it to that finish mm-hmm. to that finish line. And um, I uh, something I've had to work really hard on, and I think a lot of other people who've been through similar stuff have to work on is um, being kind to yourself and saying to yourself at the point where you were vulnerable and at the point where something bad happened to you that like, I love you and you didn't do anything wrong. And I'm taking you with me. Um, and I just uh, think it was really special. And I'm, I hope any of this was going earn enough to follow because I've never like verbalized. I've only typed this stuff out before. But um, it feels so silly to say this is the blend of absurdity and realness that I'm like when she swam to peanut butter island. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when she swam to peanut butter island, I um, 
Like it felt like the first time, like watching that felt like the first time I sang again. And I don't have another way to put it. I was, it's, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite TV episodes I've ever seen. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for it. And that's, that's my monologue. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. That's a lot. I think something um, that Tuka and Birdie does better than any show I've ever seen. And we've, we've sort of talked about it. Um, several times mm-hmm. already, but just to like get right to the core of it, that experience of depersonalization that exists so much in all of the experiences of like just living in general, of just being someone who goes through the ordeal of being alive <laughs> is like such a common thing. And, and we see it so infrequently reflected. But I think there are so many things that can happen throughout the course of somebody's life to make you feel like you are not yourself And Mm -hmm. just like the very simple victory of taking that back is something that's so incredible. And just to see it represented Mm -hmm. in like such a simple, straightforward way is like, it's amazing how effective that is. Um, I did just want to say, like, I am, I'm really, really grateful that we got to come on and talk about this show. I'm particularly grateful that I got to talk about this show, like with Addison. And so I know when I like yelled at you guys to let me come on your show and talk about Tuka and Birdie, <laughs> I, was, I was very adamant about the fact that it's like, well, okay, listen, I definitely want to come yell about Tuka and Birdie, but I want to do it with Addison. Um, partially because I know how much Jelly Lakes and the entire show means to you. And I know that you were like very much the one who encouraged me. It was like, you have to watch this really weird bird show. Um, the bird show. The bird but- show, Alex. The bird show is very important. Um, but, you know, just to sort of try to sum this up very quickly, like we've talked about this on Cryptic Keeper before, and this is not the important part of this story, but Addison and I met each other in college in tap dance class. Um, we did. Which is a very fun and weird thing. But we <laughs> we met each other at a point, I think, where we were both at a very like weird and vulnerable place in not only our respective artistic journeys, but like just the process of finding ourselves as people. And um, I am really, really enormously grateful that I have had my friendship with Addison as I've gone through a lot of the things that I've gone through. And I am also equally grateful to have had the chance to get to watch her go through a lot of very difficult things as well. And I don't mean like I've loved watching you suffer. I mean that I have loved the privilege of being somebody close enough to you that I am allowed to see those parts of your journey. Um, I think that's a very rare and beautiful thing. And at the same time, I also think that it's important to be really honest about how frustrating that can be as a friend. And I know it's yeah. been frustrating for you too, but like Something that I thought was so beautiful about Tuka and Birdie, and I couldn't stop thinking about our friendship specifically as I watched it, partially because we were texting each other the entire time, but also because, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> Tuka and Birdie aired, as I mentioned earlier, I had recently moved into an apartment for the first time of my own, which meant that I had also moved out of, like, my family home and away from the town where I went to college, and simultaneously, Addison had moved all the way across the country, and... So something about watching like these two friends who are both going through some really real shit, like dealing with not only this, like the things that they were going through, but also like the sudden enormous shift in their like friendship dynamic was like a really interesting and beautiful thing to watch. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was something just like very specific about watching the two of them get really frustrated with each other, but also like ultimately come back to the realization of those like weird little moments, you know, like picking somebody up in your mm-hmm. car and just going for a drive and not having to talk about it. But like knowing mm-hmm. that neither of you was ignoring this like enormous thing that had happened, but just that 
mm-hmm. the need to be with each other was so much stronger than the need to be right in that argument in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just I'm really grateful for the show and for all of the specific ways in which it is uncomfortable. And I'm so, mm-hmm. so grateful for like the exuberance that comes through in spite of that. So that's the thing, right? I feel like we've talked about a lot of the heavy stuff in it, but there is, God, there's so much joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, Ronnie, I think it was you who mentioned earlier, like that, again, that specific moment of like the imagery of just picking, picking somebody up in the car and driving. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. that's just such a, I don't know why that is such a specific image for me, except that it makes me think of um one how many times when we were in college and i didn't drive or have a car that like addison would drive out to my house and it was not an easy drive because she lived in the middle of nowhere um (laughs) come pick me up and we'd just like go get you know milkshakes or something dumb at some stupid hour some like ungodly hour um (laughs) and then i was thinking very fondly too of um over the holidays just like this most recent um friendsgiving season something that was just kind of very beautiful and like weirdly poetic to me is that for the first time in my life, I drove out to your house and I picked you up. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And it was just like, I don't know. I think that's such a fun, weird, like specific sort of poetry is just friends picking each other up in cars (laughs) and and driving somewhere Um, stupid. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I, um, you said it so much more beautifully and, and so much, so much better than I can uh, and than I could right now, but yeah, yes. In between too. the absurd moments and the truly heavy moments are the moments where it just feels lived in and it feels true yeah, to life. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. And, you, know, you 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 can like talk about what you want that to be in a show, but it's super hard to write that to from a driving a car yeah. to like true conflict resolution of like I'm sad and I know you said sorry, but I'm still sad. And Mm -hmm, how do mm -hmm. we get around? Like, it's just these moments of like, that has happened. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I would not ever think to write that into something. But like, that is what binds all of this together. Well, yeah. And I think you're so right. And that's so insightful to like point out that the show lives so frequently in these heightened moments Mm -hmm. that when something so aggressively normal happens, like you feel it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Y'all are both so articulate, can I just say? I know, Addison, you you were, like, (laughs) self-critiquing about how you relayed everything that you've relayed, but it was very articulate and very well said, so just, y'all are, y'all are, like, touching me right now. (laughs) Yeah, I can never tell how clear I'm being when I'm also crying. We both went to art school, and it shows. Yeah, yeah, it does. We're insufferable. (laughs) 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 Meeting you is one of the only good things to come out of it. Aww. <laughs> and tap class. And tap. <laughs> Alan! I miss Alan. God bless Alan Arnett. <laughs> he was just a very sweet, middle, strange, middle-aged Poor man. Who a real one. He's a leprechaun, I am convinced. I love Alan. Like, you know Bailey school kids, yeah. like, leprechauns don't teach tap dance? That's him. He is just straight it's up him. a leprechaun man who taught our tap dance class, and he's phenomenal. Anyway, this is an Alan Arnett stand chat. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, thank you for having us as guests on your podcast, where we both talk so very much. Oh, no, I'm so, so glad to have given you both this platform to kind of, you know, just get into it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and just... Again, we said it a million times when we covered it, but just thank 
thank goodness, thank Lisa Hanawalt that this show exists and that like I this, love Lisa Hanawalt. Mm-hmm. You know, it, honestly, that's the thing, right? I'm upset that it ended, but it was so nice that it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and it's like. As much as I would have killed, like I would do, I would still do an actual murder. This may count as a confession later and come back to bite me. I would do an actual murder for another season of Tuca and Birdie. But at the same time, I'm deeply grateful that the season that we got feels like a complete whole entire thing. You know what I mean? It feels like a complete story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what's so like satisfying about doing ending pending is so often we 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 dig through garbage because shows get canceled (laughs) shows get canceled because hey turns out they're bad yeah but every so often we find like this true gem that is powerful and emotional and connects with people and makes Mm -hmm. you think about things and makes you feel things and to get to shine a spotlight on those shows you know i think of the right. Quest, I think of Tuca and Birdie, I think of Kings. And to get yeah. to say to people like, hey, this show says something and it means something. And just because it's only one season doesn't mean you shouldn't take the time to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, like, I, <laughs> I'm i so, so grateful that you covered it on your show. I'm also furious that this is a show that was eligible to be covered on your show. Yeah. But, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm very glad that you got to experience it and to to interface with this piece of media because it's so stunning. You definitely get into that thing of of watching a show and just hoping against hope that it gets a second season. But if mm-hmm. it doesn't, I do get to talk about it with very good friends and to a large <laughs> yeah, audience. Right. Like, we had we've had one show get resurrected. So yes. look, we never you did never that. give you up. Did hope. That we us. did that. We did that. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. The quest. Yeah. Black Donnelly's <laughs> is going to be next, baby. No, it, it's if it's anything, it's selfie. If we're all being honest, oh, it's selfie. No. Yeah. R.I.P. Selfie. <laughs> yes. Out of cities here. And we are, we are. The, the I'm two here. Of you. The, the selfie the high rise up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the new podcast starting now. It's just about selfie all the time. Oh my god! And it's just you and me talking I about selfie. I've been waiting for this moment for a hundred episodes now. <laughs> ninety nine. Yeah, ninety nine. You 99. were so eager to re- remind me, Ronnie. <laughs> Got 99 problems oh. and selfie is 96 of them. <laughs> How dare Duh. you? Oh my goodness. Oh. So happy. No, uh, um, Karen Gillan is a national treasure. Yes, yes. And John Cho. I mean, yeah, oh, and John Cho, absolutely. John Cho. The cast of that show is just is so good. And the show is also, but I don't know why I'm like qualifying here. Um, any any final thoughts from uh, from us? I mean, I, we have we have opened the Pandora's box now of of inviting people on to talk about shows that we have already <laughs> closed the book on. So there's no telling if we might open this book again with folks. But uh, at this point, it seems that this would be our final final thoughts on uh, on Tuca and Birdie. Uh, watch it if you haven't. It. It's like you will thank mm-hmm. yourself. Like if somehow you manage to get through the entire recap mm-hmm. without just sitting down and watch, there's one season. People, get over yourself and take the time. And like, they're short. They're short yeah, there's episodes. Twelve episodes. Too. Also, yeah, we're all they are inside. Short. There's twelve what, of like, them. What else do you have going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you have to go? Nowhere. You better not be going yeah. anywhere <laughs> unless you are an essential worker and and required to leave your house for your work. You better not be going mm-hmm. anywhere. In which case, you deserve something nice. So watch Tuca and Birdie. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> 
No, I just, I think it's, I think I'm it's just, beautiful. And I th- I'm so sorry. I cut you off again. What were you going to say? Oh, no. I was just going to say, I'm glad it exists. Me too. That's all. I was going to say, um, I, I think it's a really, really gorgeous show. And I obviously could go on for like literal decades about it. Um, I think that, you know, for as much here as we've talked about specifically like the quote unquote, and again, I use this term very loosely for reasons which are possibly obvious, possibly not. I have no idea. But the quote unquote female gaze of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Despite all of that, I mean, I really do believe it's a show that has something to offer everybody. And I think that, well, unfortunately, you know, we never have to qualify that with shows that are from like the traditionally accepted male gaze. Like it's understood that those shows are unisex. But for some reason, shows which are written with a female audience in mind are usually viewed as like niche media. But I, I really believe that everybody has something to take away from this. I think a lot of it is truly like beautifully universal and just like a wonderful exploration of being human and having friends and talking to people and, and having like, a body and living and in having a, place. a body and it's yeah. fucking hilarious and existing and learning from yourself i think they're all really important being things. a human and being a bird yeah being a bird and like and seeing it, a building with boobs on it and <laughs> it's the most human show i've ever seen and there are no humans present and understanding and what a dog mm-hmm. is there are yeah, there is, however, a pair of plant titties. There, God, there I love is. the plant ladies. I love the plant Draca. ladies. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the plant people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I fucking love the turtles so much. Anyway. I'm anyway. gonna say I love the turtles. Anyway. Turtles. <laughs> thank you for having us. This has been a journey. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, to hear more from you? If after this, somehow they still wish to hear more out of our mouths, um, you can find Addison and I together jointly hosting our show, The Cryptid Keeper, which has nothing to do with any of this whatsoever. It's a really fun show. It's a very fun, lighthearted show. Uh, But it is at CryptKeepPod on Twitter, uh, C-R-Y-P-T-K-E-P-P-O-D. And you can find it on just about any podcast distributor, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. including you know itunes and stitcher and uh we're on spotify now we're on spotify now yeah we are on spotify and uh you know anywhere else that you download your human voices for consumption um <laughs> you can find me personally on twitter at coffee detective that's c-o-f-f-3-3 detective i'm on twitter at addison underscore peacock just 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 like my name just like it <laughs> just like I your real name that you on the ground but yes. Um, and then, yeah, we do Cryptid Keeper. Um, and we do a Horror Borealis, which is an actual play podcast. Uh, about, yeah, with gamers. About, it's Monster of the Week. It's really fun. We're gamers. We're real gamers. Emphasis on the gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, where that show is concerned, especially. Yeah. Yes. Thank you again so much for being here. Um, you can learn more about Ending Pending. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at pending pod follow us on facebook at pending pod follow us on instagram at ending pending you can send us an email pending pot at gmail.com we are all here part of the lunar light studio family of podcasts uh like like our friend said check out cryptic keeper that's usually what we say here anyway mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but you can also check out mock footage check out uh, artificial ghost radio check out uh, bad advertising, all excellent shows that you can find on Lunar Light Studio. Or our new friends, uh, Bad Romance, or I can yes. fix this. 
Yes. I was literally telling Alex that I have been listening to Bad Romance for the entirety of quarantine. I was a fan of Bad Romance and a Patreon donor before this how all happened. Oh, we know yeah. you did it I've before. I've been losing it was cool. my mind. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. I just mean that I'm a fa- I was a fan of the show before they came on the network, and this has been very surreal for me. <laughs> also, I'm going to toss out trans questioning because we talked about trans shit this episode. stuff. Absolutely. And uh, we'll we'll f- check out check us out on Twitter or in the Discord. Del- I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and delay our announcements about <laughs> about what's going on with Young Hercules. It feels real trite at this point. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, f- we'll we'll be back. Maybe I'll do a little like uh, interstitial episode uh, midway through the week, and we'll we'll talk more about that. But uh, until then, Andy, what what's what, what do we always say? Uh, we're never doing Firefly. No, we no. don't say that oh, anymore. That's so that's okay. Oh, wow, don't those tell, days. Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou. There it is. Don't tell Pawn Shop Lou. As we say on the Cryptic Keeper, boop beep, boop beep. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. 